Aren't you glad you got out of bed and came to church this morning? <laughs> Nothing gets people's attention more than that topic, does it? We've been in a series these last few weeks, and we've kind of been looking uh, at the big idea that there is this invisible, unseen world that impacts and reveals itself in the visible, seen world. There is this invisible, unseen world that impacts, it influences, affects our visible and um, seen world. This invisible, unseen world, it has the potential to impact us, not just physically, but relationally. Our decision-making impacts the way we view the world. It impacts everything around us. It is an invisible world we can't see, and yet it seems to impact and influence everything we do. And one of the major lies, distortions, deceptions that the enemy has woven into the fabric of today's culture is basically this. If we can get people to think of sex as an isolated activity to only be thought of and looked at within that moment, then the battle is won. The deception is to transfer the focus away from intimacy and just make it an activity. That is the deception. That is the enemy's strategy when it comes to the area and issue of sexuality. Take the focus, shift it away from intimacy, and just morph it into an activity. And when it comes to sexual issues, the culture today is shouting a very different message. Many of them are contrary to God's word. I mean, just this last week, the Supreme Court sent a very strong message regarding the issue of same-sex marriage, which will probably potentially take the number of states recognizing gay marriage from 19 to possibly 30 states. Many of these confused messages are communicated through a variety of channels, television, magazines, schools, parents, peers, movies, just to name a few. And some of the many messages being communicated to people today are sex outside of marriage is no big deal. Everybody does it. I mean, you're a weirdo if you don't. Kids are going to have sex anyway, so we might as well just make sure they're safe. Here, have a condom. Sex with whomever, whenever, wherever, it's just part of being human and having hormones. It's just natural. You want to know the message I grew up with? And probably many of you who are my age or older probably heard the same message in regards to sex. The message I heard is sex is for married people only. And it wasn't that I got that message solely or, or just completely from my parents. I mean, the message was sexual intimacy was to be, be between one man, one woman, one lifetime within the context 
of the covenant of marriage. I mean, it seemed like this message was kind of just everywhere. It wasn't just in our home. It was in the television shows we watch, the movies. I mean, television shows I grew up on, some of you grew up on. I mean, Ricky and Lucy Ricardo, Rob and Laura Petrie, Fred and Wilma Flintstone, Barney and, Wil- or Barney and Betty Rebel all slept in separate beds. How little Ricky, Richie, Pebbles, Bam Bam, all got here was irrelevant. It didn't matter. It wasn't talked about. It just happened. And we were all better for the discretion. Not today's television shows. Not today's movies. They really leave little, if anything, to the imagination. And what we're going to discover today is God has given us parameters, guidelines in his word when it comes to sex and sexuality. Not because he's a cosmic killjoy, not because he's against all and any sex, but because God created and designed sex for a very specific purpose and blessing in our lives. You know, God purposely designed and he created sex not just for procreation. God also designed sex to be the ultimate, the pinnacle of intimacy between two married people. And and get this, purity is the pathway to intimacy. Purity, purity of heart, purity of mind, purity of body. It is the pathway to intimacy. See, the enemy has come, and this is the deception, and he has replaced sex to be reduced to an activity with whomever, whenever, wherever. And the truth is, sex is not a pastime. It is a pathway that leads to to somewhere and has specific and deliberate outcomes and consequences. We don't like to hear about them. We don't like to be faced with those consequences, but they're there. I mean, pornography, it's not just a pastime. Pornography is a pathway that leads to destructive relationships, isolation with God, and destroys our capacity to have intimacy with those we were created to have intimacy with. Years ago, Babe Ruth was called out at bat by an umpire after his third strike. After the third strike was called by the umpire, Babe Ruth and the umpire got into a huge shouting match over the call. And the crowd was screaming very angry at the umpire over the call. And Babe Ruth told the umpire, there are 40,000 people here who know that last pitch was a ball, not a strike, you tomato head. And the umpire looked at Babe Ruth with a measured stateliness, said, maybe so, but my opinion is the only one that matters. You're out. It's true. There are many, many voices in our culture today when it comes to the issue of sex and sexuality that are shouting different calls on what is right, what is good, what is bad when it comes to sex and sexuality. And yet there is still only one voice and one call that matters. 
and that's God's. God is the ultimate umpire of the universe, not the crowd. I am more convinced than ever. Maybe the last time I preached on sex, there, there was no gay marriage in any state. Like I said, today potentially we stand on the precipice of 30 states now sanctioning and recognizing same-sex marriage. It's not getting better. It's getting much worse. As a matter of fact, I feel more and more and more disconnected from culture and people on this issue. And yet, I am convinced more than ever what the Scripture says regarding sex and sexuality is not only true and relevant, it's just awesome advice regardless of the source. And there's a pushback, and there's just resistance even within the church to talk about sex in church because I grew up in the Lutheran church, attended my whole life, And sex was never talked about from the pulpit. Trust me on that one. If if it was, I would have been all ears. It's never talked about. And so part of my religious upbringing was you just didn't talk about this in church. So not only is there kind of a level of discomfort there, I also feel like one of those Old Testament prophets who's just crying aloud in the wilderness and for the most part just being largely ignored. And yet as I continue to look at the current landscape today, there is this arena where the deception, the lie of the enemy is not only killing us literally, but it is taking its toll in an arena that is never discussed in association with sex, namely our inability to achieve intimacy. And here's why this is so important. If you can't develop intimacy with those you can see and touch it will hamper it will impede it will interfere in your ability to develop intimacy with the heavenly father who you can't see or touch again purity of heart soul body and mind it just paves the way to intimacy both with your spouse and with your heavenly father this past week CDC, Centers for Disease Control, just came out with the latest stats for STD, sexually transmitted diseases, stating that nearly 20 million new STD infections are now being reported each year. 20 million. Currently in the United States, there are 110 million Americans with STDs at any given time. And you know the sad thing is? None of this is necessary. If you're married and you and your spouse are monogamous, the chances of either of you getting an STD are practically zero. It ain't going to happen. Just as there are consequences for recklessness in regards to sex, there are tremendous benefits and blessings when we exercise self-control and restraint and are celibate in singleness and faithful in marriage, which the Scriptures intend. Celibate in singleness, faithfulness in marriage. 
So let me ask you a question. Let me kind of get you involved in this. It's kind of one of those rear view mirror questions. Meaning as you look back on your past life, past decisions, let me ask you this question. Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? I'm guessing that for 99% of you here this morning, if you were completely honest, many would say that sex outside of marriage has made their life more complicated. And the question I have is, why is this not more obvious to everybody? When sex is taken outside of its proper God-designed, God-created context, it complicates lives. It doesn't contribute to or enhance life in any significant way. Rape, abuse, ghosts from the past, memories, guilt, shame, disease, erosion of your soul, the breakup of homes and marriage, the splitting of families are just some of the consequences and the fallout when this God-given, God-designed gift is taken out of its proper use and function. This is why we rarely, if ever, When you hear people looking in the rearview mirror of life, looking back at their past, you'll never hear them say, I wished I would have had more casual sex growing up. Oh, gee, I wished I would have had more partners. I wished I would have cheated more on my spouse. And the reason we never hear comments like that is because sex outside of marriage always makes life more complicated. Think about this. Do you ever realize or it has occurred to you that just about every crime that makes it to the front page of the newspapers or is the lead story of our news media has a sexual component to it? Whether it's rape, kidnapping, murder, drugs, most crimes in our culture involve at least a sexual component. It is an indication of fallout and consequence from the deception. So let me ask you this. If you were God and you created and designed sex who gives it to mankind as the ultimate expression of intimacy between two married persons who knew that when it gets taken out of its proper function and use has more negative potential for harm and destruction than any other thing, what would you expect God to say to you and I regarding our sex and sexuality? What would you expect God, who who is able to, for instance, just look at the continent of Africa and to see the widespread destruction, the, the mayhem, the chaos that AIDS has caused within the heterosexual population in Africa? If you were God who was able to stand back and to see the totality of that destruction... God who is able to accurately measure and fully comprehend the total impact of misapplied, misappropriate sex, what would you expect God to say? Who loves you? Who wants the best for you? 
who has a plan for your life that is for your future, it is for your hope, not for your destruction, what would you expect God to say? Go for it. Do it. Just be careful. Be safe and use a condom. If it feels good, do it. I don't think so. So let me tell you what I think. A loving, caring, heavenly Father who wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. Who has a plan for your life. Here's what he has to say to you and to me regarding sex and our sexuality. 1 Corinthians, and before I get to the specific verse I want to share with you, let me just set up the context of this letter that Paul writes to the church there in Corinth. Now, Paul planted this church in Corinth where the culture of that time thought sex was just an isolated activity. That first century, believe it or not, over 2,000 years ago, thought sex was just a hobby. It was just something you do. You hook up with whomever, wherever. As a matter of fact, in the culture of that time, you would go to the temple there in Corinth. And you would worship a pagan deity, and then you would have sex with some temple prostitute, and that was considered a part of your worship. Usually Pastor Jason picks music that kind of goes along with my theme. Challenged him this week. Said, I think you're going to have to write your own song, worship song about sex. And you're going to have to get into the song of Solomon to do it. He didn't. But there in the culture of Corinth, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and as he's writing that, the way they lived there was you could go to work. And on your way home from work, you could stop at the temple, worship a pagan deity, pay to have sex with a temple prostitute. Then you could go home, see the kids, see the wife, go to the soccer game. Sex was just something you do. And the apostle Paul, he kind of drops into that culture. And he says, where do I even begin so he says, let me start with this. Here's God's take on the whole sex and sexuality thing. Here's what God would say to you and God would say to me, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. That word flee there, it means you run away as fast and as far as you can. Don't flirt with it. Don't get as close as you can to it. Get away immediately. And unfortunately, because of the constant redefining and revision of words in our culture, I need to define the word immorality. See, you could be here today and you're living with, you're shacking up with, a guy or a girl, you're not married to them, you're just living together, and you would look at that person, and you might be tempted to think this morning, I know the Bible says we should flee sexual immorality. I can't agree more with Pastor Jeff, but what we're doing is not immoral. Now, you could be here this morning, and you're married, 
and you have a boyfriend, girlfriend on the side, and you really love both of them, you love your family, you don't want to wreck your family, but this boyfriend, this girlfriend makes you feel the way you used to feel when you were first married. And we got this cool song, it's our song And every time I hear it, I think of him, think of her. And I agree that we should flee sexual immorality. But what we're doing, it isn't immoral. So you could be here this morning, and you're a man who is sexually active with another man, or you're a woman who is sexually active with another woman, and you're sitting there saying, I agree we should flee sexual immorality, but what I'm doing is not immoral, and the Supreme Court agrees with me. So you need to be here this morning, and you're on the pathway of pornography. You look at X-rated videos and movies. You read Playboy, Playgirl, Hustler, Penthouse. You view porn on the computer. And you're sitting there rationalizing to yourself this morning, I agree with Pastor Prudy that we should flee sexual immorality, but I don't think what I'm doing is immoral. It's how we redefine terms and language in our culture to justify what we're doing. And I understand all of that and how you could think that because we live in a culture where we get to redefine the words and alter their meanings. And we've completely transformed the meaning of marriage in our culture. Congratulations. No other culture has done what we have done. Kudos to us. But the fallout, the consequence, the judgment, if I may so say, is coming. It's coming. Takes a while for things to grow that you've planted. We've planted some pretty devastating crops in our culture. Every one of us want to be our own umpire, want to be our own referee. So let me tell you what the Bible says immorality is in both the Old and the New Testament. Sexual immorality is defined as any form of sexuality or sensuality outside the context and bounds of heterosexual marriage. Sexual immorality, the Bible clearly defines as any form of sexual activity or intentional sensuality outside the covenant and bonds of heterosexual marriage. That's what the Bible defines and considers immorality to be. So Paul says, look, when it comes to the sexual act or any form of sensuality outside of the marriage covenant, you have got to flee. you got to run. Get away from it as fast as you can. And this is so important and so critical because of the next thing Paul goes on to say, verse 18, flee sexual immorality, all other sins. Now hold it right there. Paul is saying, I know there's all kinds of sins. They come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. But he says, when it comes to sexual sins, they are in a category all of their own. 
And the reason sexual sins are in a category all of their own is because of the way it impacts, affects, and influences you and those who live around you. Sexual sin is in a complete category of its own, not because of the effect and reaction it has on God, but because of the effect and the reaction it has on us. God's clear clarion call for sexual purity is because it offers the best protection for body, mind, and soul. And jumping back to verse 15, Paul gives a further explanation. He says, do you not know? Now, apparently they did, but may have forgotten. So Paul's saying, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Paul's making the link here that, that one of the ways we represent Christ upon the earth is through our physical bodies. We are the hands, we are the feet, the eyes, the ears, the mouth of Jesus, and we are put here to do the work of Christ upon the earth, to bring, to usher in his kingdom upon the earth. And Paul says, your physical body as Christians are a part of that. And verse 15 continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite? Now that word in the Greek means glue, permanently attached. That's what the word unite there means. So shall I then take the members of Christ and unite, glue them with a prostitute? Now when he says this, Paul is making another point. He's saying, I know that's a little bit strong there, and people may want to push back on that and say, you know, you know what, we're, we're not uniting, we're not gluing, we're not permanently bonding anything when we have sex. No, no, you, you misunderstand, Paul. I mean, you're making this out to be a permanent thing. It isn't. It's just a one-night stand. Last weekend when I was down at the local temple, I don't even remember her name. I didn't unite. And Paul says, okay, wait. You really don't understand sex. Paul's saying it's not just a physical activity. You Corinth Christians, you're saying you got a lot to learn on God's viewpoint when it comes to sex and sexuality. He says God's created you, don't you understand, in such a way that when you have sex with someone, you've united yourself, you've glued yourself and permanently attached a part of yourself to that other person. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Then Paul quotes a verse from the Old Testament, Genesis 2.24. He says, for it is written, the two will become one flesh. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, when you have sex with someone, you unite with them. You fasten, you glue, you bond, you become one flesh with them. And when you separate, you take part of them, they take part of you, because there is something permanent and bonding and uniting about sex. It isn't just a physical event, it's a soul event, a spirit event, a heart event. Sex was God's way to physically illustrate and to create a sense of 
intimacy between two people. And when you take sex outside of its function and use that God intended and designed it for, you foul up, you screw up, you mess up your intimacy factor. That's why some of you have a problem with intimacy. That's why if you were raped or sexually abused as a child, well, it had nothing to do with the choices you made, and it was somebody else's sin that was thrust upon you. You still struggle in the realm of intimacy because sex is about intimacy. It is not an isolated event or activity. And again, when two people come together and unite in sex, there comes a oneness. And again, it may explain some of your struggles. There's a oneness that comes in sex and you can never fully, completely un-one the oneness that has happened in sex. It's why you can bump into a former sex partner 20 years later in the grocery store and still feel awkward and uncomfortable. So what do you do with this? There's one group that hears me and goes, this is exactly what I would expect from a preacher. This is why I don't go to church. This is why I don't like church. This guy is so out of touch, so unrealistic. I am out of here. See you later, Pastor Prudy. Here's what I would say to you. One word for you, if you're kind of resisting the whole thing I'm saying, and my word for you is remember. Just remember this message because here's what can happen. One day, you'll wake up at the bottom of the heap and your relational life will be a mess. You've maybe contracted various STDs. You're trying to figure out why things are not working out, why you're so empty and numb on the inside, why you've been through one relationship after another. And maybe you'll remember this message. If you ever come to a place where the hole in your soul gets so big that you can't take it anymore, I hope you'll remember. If your sexual appetite or your need to be desired is starting to control and take over your life, I hope you will remember God who is your heavenly Father, loves you, and will help you start putting your life back together at whatever point you turn to Him. And even though there may be consequences that chase you for the rest of your life, just remember that his grace, his mercy, his love are big enough to help you through it. And I hope you'll remember God's not mad at you. He's heartbroken because he loves you and he desires the very best for you. Second group hears me and kind of goes, you know what, you don't have to convince me any other further. I know you're right. This makes complete sense to me. It mirrors all of my past experiences. I know my life needs to change. I feel so guilty, but I feel like it may be too late, and I just don't know what to do. I also have one word for you, and it also starts with the letter R, and that word is repent. God always yells repent at people he cares about. Did you know that? God always yells repent at people he cares about. Do you know what repent means? Repent means just turn and run as hard, as fast as you can away from sin and into the arms of God. Turn around. Go in the opposite direction. 
It means you recognize, you understand, sex is not just a pastime, it is a pathway that has led you away from God and God's plan for your life, and through your repentance, you're ready to forsake and turn away from that destructive path. Repentance means you may get alone with God, you may just kind of put all of your past sexual sins on the table and ask God to bring to your remembrance those sexual parts of your past that just need to be confessed. And as each one comes to mind, you just simply ask God to forgive you, to restore you, and to redeem you. Repentance for some of you may mean taking drastic measures. It may mean getting rid of the internet access at your home or moving the computer from a private place to a more public open setting in your home. Or it may mean, you know what, let's just get rid of the computer altogether. For some of you, repentance may mean breaking off the current sexual relationship you're having or getting out of that relationship completely. For some of you who are single, repentance may include you going to your calendar, putting an X on today's date, and deciding that for the next year, I'm not going to date anyone. I'm going to spend that year allowing God to work on the inside of me, preparing me for whatever he has for me in the future. Why so drastic? Because sex and sexuality outside of God's plan and design for us is dangerous stuff. Ever been to a zoo where all the animals are just allowed to roam freely? You're kind of in there just dodging and hiding and doing your best to stay away. No, 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 no. Why? Because it's dangerous. You put animals behind bars because they could attack and potentially kill you. Immorality, sexual immorality, is like a wild animal, and you need to take extreme precautions. Misapplied, misappropriate sex can kill you, attack and destroy the families. It can reach into and negatively affect the next generation. It can reach into, affect and destroy your marriage. It can reach and destroy your ability and capacity for intimacy and oneness. Flee sexual immorality. If God truly loves you, what else would you expect a loving God to say? Final verse, verse 20, here's how Paul ends the passage. You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. How do you honor God with your body? body. I think it means getting up every morning and saying, I surrender my hands, I surrender my mouth, my feet, my eyes, my ears. I want to use this dying, decaying body to honor you somehow, to honor and serve you, to honor and to serve others. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to honor you using my body. And whatever price I pay, whatever I may miss out by honoring you with my body, I believe is worth it because in the long run, I'm not going to fall for the deception, for the lie of this culture. And don't wait for culture to change, folks. It's not going to change. It's just going to get worse. But we can change if we decide to flee from and not flirt with it. And I'm getting ready to close here. And in time, because of who God is and how God works, he'll begin to heal you. I've seen it so many times. God will repair and enable you to experience intimacy and oneness, which is way better than just sex. 
And God will prepare you for a better future, but it begins with repentance and a commitment to flee sexual immorality and to honor God with your body. Maybe you just need to make a covenant with your eyes. I think Job talked about that. To turn away, to not look at anything immoral. Maybe we can influence a few people along the way. Maybe we can be like light in dark places. And maybe others will avoid the lie, the deception, flee and live, flirt, and you may potentially hurt or destroy yourself and possibly everyone you love. Sex is not just a physical activity. It's way deeper than that because God designed it to be way deeper than that. Let's stand.